Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. We've got a special Christmas in February edition of the podcast, as I've got multiple guests with me to discuss the Bark's Christmas classic, You Can't Guess. Why don't uh, we hear introductions from Warren? Hey, Mark. Good to be back again. I am a Carl Bark's fanatic and Donald Duck collector living in snowy rochester minnesota and great to be back for this this uh, fun story thanks for being back hi i'm sarah santiago um usually i come in as some random jack of all trades but this one didn't really come up with a topic except like receiving gifts as a something i could be an expert on but um i'm happy to you know bring my experiences my lived experiences receiving gifts to this podcast yeah are you are you guys more of the giver or receiver of gift i am definitely find joy in giving but i'll tell you i do <laughs> love especially when you have two small grandchildren uh, nothing beats that reaction yeah there, there's nothing like uh like giving gifts to kids i i love oh, giving yeah. gifts to kids i find giving gifts to adults a little bit stressful um mm-hmm. but when when you nail it i i feel like that is really satisfying yeah so um this this one really is about gift giving right this one is a lot of fun as as mentioned we're talking today about you can't guess and um you know it's it's snowing outside so i can pretend that it's seasonally appropriate but it is important to me to to release these chronologically in order at least with these long form stories thus our little christmas in february and uh i I really enjoyed this one as a kid. I've got some pretty fond memories of this. Warren, is this one that you hadn't visited in a while? or? Well, I'm so glad you asked me to help out with this one because when you told me about it, I went, oh, I don't know that story, I don't think. So then I went back and I looked at it and went, oh, that story, that's the one. I, I ate this up as a kid. Uh, this was one of my favorite stories for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. But yeah, it I didn't know the name of it. That was my problem. I It's right there on the splash page. But I, I did grow up with this story and I have a lot of fond memories. Yeah, that's true. It took me... I- I hadn't really internalized the title for this one because it's pretty generic, right? You can't guess. But but it's a fun little bit of wish fulfillment. Some of the Bark stories, I think, are at their best when when they let you kind of feel like a kid um, imagining yourself in, in the nephew's position. So a little bit of background about this one. This one was released. This was released in October of 1950 in the publication Christmas Parade. It'll be interesting maybe to consider, Warren, because I know you've read this one, how you think this stacks up against the other great Christmas classics. And Sarah, I did have you read another another Christmas story, right? You got to do the Golden Christmas Tree. I did. Yes. Yeah. This is not my first Donald Duck Christmas rodeo. So that, which feels surprising to me, right? Because um, I don't feel like that much time has elapsed since you've been doing this podcast, but clearly you've covered many multiples of years enough so that I've come on and this is my second Christmas episode. Yeah, it's true. So Pirate Gold, Warren, was that in 45? 
four. Well, pirate gold was uh, 42. 42, that's right. So we're, we're up into 1950 now, late 1950. So he's gone through a few of these Christmas cycles. And um, that, that's one of the things about comic books is that they really like to cover Christmas stories because it's an easy hook to sell yeah. a story. So, so Barks got assigned to do one of these every year. <laughs> Whether he liked it or not, I would say. Um, sometimes he had a great idea for a Christmas story, and uh, sometimes maybe he didn't. But but this one is widely considered to be one of the, would you say, Warren, this is like one of the three great Christmas stories? I'm going to put it up there. I It's my favorite of all of them for a lot of reasons. Maybe it doesn't compare to uh, some of the others, but uh, in its storytelling format, but um, I, I like it because it just features so many of the classic characters at the same time. And, and, and I love the, the fact that the nephews are, are really prominent here. Yeah. It, it is fun to see. I, I really like the Donald duck family stories. Yeah, the duck a lot. Family. Sarah, did you, did you enjoy, or, or was that kind of a notable aspect of this one? for you, how we got to see kind of the extended duck clan. Yeah, I was glad that you'd um, had me on various episodes to introduce me to Gladsko Don Gander. So I knew who he was and what his story was when he when he came in. So I felt like an old pro reading these, even though obviously this is a lot of my first exposure to the Donald Duck comics and to comics in general. Now I feel like I... I already knew what was going on. That's right. Uh, you've got some much needed background. Yeah. So let's see. Um, this one has been reprinted pretty consistently. I, I saw seven reprints, including the original for the United States, and it's a 28-pager. A little bit of background trivia about this one. Warren, feel free to jump in if there's anything that I miss. But this is one of the few remaining stories that does have some human-drawn background characters. There's some very, very neat-looking uh, humans in this one. I really like that Donald's car is so prominent in this one, the good old uh, Belchfire runabout. That's right, 1934 Belchfire. That's right, a 1934 Belchfire runabout, as he, as he titled one of his lithographs. Warren, do you, do you have that one? I do. I have two of them. Oh my gosh, I know. That... Why do I have two of them? Well, that was a happy accident, which we'll save for another podcast. <laughs> that's great. I, I love his car. Um, so, so that's a fun aspect of this one for me. A, a little minor detail we'll see into the story. This is the first time we see Scrooge bathing in a money bathtub. <laughs> that's right. You know what? I happened to run across for this one, the, the rate that Barks was paid for it. Oh, tell, tell, tell us more here. New trivia. So um, I, I found this on the, what is this? The cbarks.dk, I think, page. And they said that on May 24th, 1950, Barks was paid for the story's 25 pages at his standard page rate of $6.50 for the story and $22 for the art. So $712.50 all in total. Yeah. Boy, which... Have you figured out inflation in today's dollars, what that would have been? That would be an interesting exercise, wouldn't it? It would. Oh, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> um, that would be worth seven hundred twelve dollars and fifty cents, 
1950 is worth $8,311.95 today. That's okay. a pretty good rate. But, um, you know, when you consider he only did uh, generally two to three of the, the, the long ones a year, right, Warren? That's right. He would do the four color series and then these Christmas specials and the Firestone specials. And yeah, right. So yeah, I thought that was cool. Any any other trivia that you found notable about this one, Warren? Well, you, you already mentioned my one of my favorite Donald Duck props, and that would be his car, uh, mm-hmm. the classic 313, which many listeners and readers might know that March 13th is his unofficial birthday, meaning it's the comic book birthday versus the June 9th uh, Wise Little Hen debut. Uh, mm-hmm. 1934, but uh, that's I've always loved the car as well. Uh, let me ask you, Mark, um, which issue uh, did you look at, and what color is the car that you're referencing? Yeah, so I I did this one in their awesome publication of Christmas Parade number one, and uh, it's yellow in that one. Yeah, yellow here in the Fantagraphics one as well, which which is a little different than my recollection of his red car. So I'm yeah. uh, just a little bit different there, but I love the depiction of the 19, early 50s, late 40s toys. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very, very fortunate to have color footage of my father at the age of seven opening up Christmas toys under his Christmas tree. And honestly, they're much like what we're seeing in these pictures here. Definitely. These toys do feel classic, right? In a way that before toys went all digital, this this feels kind of like the default of what oh, Christmas toys should look like. Absolutely. Yeah, they um, seem very kind of simple and, and not branded, not flashy, you know, not tied to the big toy company or the latest superhero cartoon, right? Just toys. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, definitely a, part, a big part of the charm. So you guys want want to go for some of the international titles here? Yeah. I do like to pander to the international audience. Um, Warren, why don't you start us off? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off and with our Scandinavian friends, and I'm gonna uh, talk about Norway and Sweden. Let's let's do Norway first. The Norwegian title of this story is Kan Dujete if that's pronounced right. And it's, can you guess? Can right. you guess? Sweden is pretty literal. It's ni kan etegisa. You can't guess. So they're right right along lines of the uh, the perfect translation. That's right. Straightforward. Um, how about yours, Sarah? We have um, Germany is guess ones, which is rat einmal. Um, Mexico, though, is kind of the outlier, and it's lluvia de regalos. Reign of Gifts, which I think is quite a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, I like it when um, when they don't kind of give it give away a big element. When I did <laughs> Vacation Time, uh, a couple episodes, uh, Eric, the guest, and I were commenting on what a generic title it was. Yeah, but but it's it's kind of a nice little treat because it conceals how dramatic it's going to turn. And so I've got France, which is quel cadeau pour Noël? What gift for Christmas is the question that one asks. And in Netherlands, the Dutch is Jerat te nuit. You will never guess. So uh, most of them are, are just variations on the, the regular one. Background cultural context, we can talk about that as we go. But to me, the, the most interesting sort of cultural part of this is the the place that the famed erector set used to hold in the 
childhood imagination. They never yeah. actually call these construction sets erector sets, I don't think, but that's that's pretty clearly what they are. Yeah, very, very. Uh, I never had one as a kid growing up, and I'm closest probably to the the demographic of some of these memories. But uh, yeah, the construction set. Uh, they don't use the word uh, uh, erector set, do they? No, but but classic metal parts. Um, I don't think you'll see that much today. Sarah, are you familiar with the classic erector set? I know I've heard of them. I never had one. I don't, you know, I was a girl and I had very gender toys. And so nobody I knew had one, but, you know, I don't know. My sample size may be skewed. Sure. Yeah. I, I, um, I didn't have one either, but I know that they're very famous for like how versatile they are. And, and they're, they were thought of as, I think, as a really special toy, right? That you could do anything with. A lot of the kids who got them turned into engineers, I suspect. So, I, I think when we see them in the story, we're supposed to think, oh, this is like the big ticket toy while also not being like a, a licensed Teddy Ruxpin or or whatever. I would also suggest that it's a precursor to the Legos of right. today. They're extremely versatile in their uh, building uh, ability and uh, their creativity. Right. Yeah, good point. Um, all right. So you guys ready to dive into the story itself? Let's go toy shopping. Excellent. Let's do. I'm I'm going to start us off. This is one where I, I left out a, a little bit of trivia because um, this is a really cool opener, right? This is a big, beautiful, full page splash panel with the kids peering into a toy shop that has some of those um, classic looking toys that we were just talking about. But it's it's a really nice looking page. It's ornamented with little bits of holly berries. And uh, this is the last time, the last of three, where he gets to do one of these full page spl mm. splash panel. It's our other Christmas one, Letter to Santa, has the great opening with steam shovel vacation time rather vacation time I love it with the the animals and the bridge and the and again the classic car so we've got the nephews looking in the toy toy shop and they are indecisive they're trying to figure out what they want for christmas and as we transition to them going in the toy store we have this like kind of heartwarming conversation between them where they're acknowledging all of the nice toys that they already have and how Santa Claus has been so good to them every year that they can't think of anything that they really need. And uh, they make this really nice, big hearted, as they call it, decision that they're going to skip Christmas. And so they write Santa a letter and tell him to give their presents to other kids. And uh, I, I like this, you guys. I thought this was really cute really sweet it's kind of predictable that as soon as they put their envelope in the mailbox they're gonna um they're gonna see something that oh, i was like... suspicious right away i was like i wrote down what's the angle uh -huh. <laughs> are they gonna be greedy are they gonna be is donald gonna cause a problem like i hadn't i haven't read enough of these to see what direction this is gonna lead them and you know often i'm finding like even in like the Simpsons, right? Like the first like five minutes of the show sets up them to go in a completely different di direction and has nothing sure. to do with that five, first five minutes. Oh, oh, I also was wondering if they were going to go chase down the mail truck, are they going to get in themselves into <laughs> trouble that way? 
And then I was like, no, they're a little bit too smart. That sounds like something Donald would do and the kids would have to rescue him from. So I was on edge, honestly. And I was, I, Sarah, I was probably a little bit more morally optimistic that these boys were going to do a good turn and be a little good junior woodchucks. But then again, we would have a pretty boring story, wouldn't we? Right. <laughs> so, um, but what a noble gesture. I just love those panels of, of sheer joy in doing something nice for someone else. Yeah, I and agree. it talks about how not simple th their lives are, but not in a derogatory way, right? Like right. they know that they're cared for. They have all of their needs met. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't realized how much of a parent they've become. So they don't have, worry about wider issues like bills or whatever, right? They're just like, <laughs> we have everything we need and it's these toys and we're solid. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think this really paints a picture of some kids who feel comfortable and secure. Barks is obviously positioning them to be good at the beginning of this story, right? Sometimes he positions them to set them up to be mischievous. So he he doesn't use different characters for that. He'll just decide the kind of the version of characters that he wants. And so as they leave, as they mail their letter, they see a toy that they don't already have, that they realize, oh, actually, this is something we've always wanted. It's a building set. And again, it is an erector set. I think that's a branded word at this time, but, but we are meant to see this as the big hot toy for many decades, in fact. Um, and we see these really cool constructions, you know, in the display shop, there's a Ferris wheel and a crane. These are things you can really do with it. So they, they realize that they've got to rush back, stop the mailman, but it's too late. And this has all basically been a nice setup to the fact that now they can't depend on Santa Claus. They've got to ask their uncle, Donald, to see if he'll buy one for them. And so we're kind of sidestepping Santa for this Christmas story. Right. And they, they race home um, optimistic that Uncle Donald will bail them out. Uh, so they see Donald, he's shoveling snow, they humbly walk up to him, and, and I love the, the faces on these nephews now, they, they, they're just all, please, uh, not begging quite so much, but uh, asking Donald for the uh, opportunity to uh, buy something for them. And Donald is, is kind of clueless as to what's going on, do you want me to guess? Oh no, we'll tell you, and they, they explain that they do want this new building set they saw, and uh, Donald uh, is, is uh, I kind of like his parental choices here. He's saying, well, uh, you know, I don't believe in giving things so easily. Let's, uh, we'll have to do something to earn it. And I thought that was pretty cool. So they start wanting to do whatever it takes, chores around the house. Nope, you don't get my point, he says, when they ask to shovel snow or do whatever. You should not have to work. You should have to worry. That was an interesting, like, why? <laughs> Sarah? <laughs> yeah, we're all kind of making like, huh? Faces. Have oh, to I was, worry? I was so mad. That was a poor choice of words, Mr. Barks. I don't know. What do you think was going on there? I mean, that's such a, I was, as you were talking and you were like, you know, they're going to tell him what what they really want. I was thinking about the Spice Girls. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And Donald <laughs> being like, no, you have to guess. I want you to worry. I'm glad, Warren, that you read that line out, right? Because that, that really struck me every time I read it. You you should, I don't mean you should have to work, you should have to worry. All I can come up with is that Barks really wanted to set this 
specific plot up. I don't think he found an elegant way to do it. So he made Donald a little bit a little bit of a jerk here, right? Because he's he's toying with them. It's it's weird, but it does it does set up what he wants. And I do like I really like this plot element, right? Where they have to guess what he wants. I think it's really fun. I think it's really intriguing. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's set up in the most elegant way. Although, you know, it's not that weird for well, Donald, I guess. But when you look at the very next panel after that odd statement, which which we all reacted to, I love what Donald says in the first line. Well, let me put it this way. That's what he says. Let me put it this way. So he clears right. the air a little bit and says, you'll have to guess what I want and I'll buy what you want. And I thought that was, okay, now we've set up the story. Right. So kind it, of, uh, it's very, I'm sorry to interrupt. It, it's, no. it's, it's a good little bit of economical storytelling. I just want to ask you guys, do you think it's generous to to think that maybe Donald wants them to kind of practice some like empathy, put themselves in his perspective and, and be like, oh, there are things that Donald, <laughs> you're shaking your head, Sarah. No, this is this is totally in character for Donald, right? Donald has poor boundaries. He makes his problems everybody's problems. One of the hallmarks of poor boundaries is not using your words, expecting people to be mind readers and then being upset when they can't read your mind, right? <laughs> so obviously he's not becoming upset when they can't read his mind, but he's still putting the burden um, of communication and, and reading his mind on the kit. Right, Sarah. And I'm going to go up one level deeper and say we have just seen some selfishness on behalf on behalf of the nephews, and now we're seeing Donald's selfishness as well. And I'm, there's an underlying, little underlying theme of selfishness going on here. Would you agree? I would say that it's more age appropriate for the kids. Um, uh, I think that Mark is right that, you know, yeah. like we should be teaching kids, like have some empathy, think about, you know, somebody else's experience besides yourself. But we already know they can do that because that's why they come to him in the first place, because they've already told Santa to give their presents to somebody else. Like, why? Why? <laughs> is my question. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, he's he's being very selfish and he is acting like a child. And they're also, you know, they want something and that's okay. And they're acting age appropriately. And I will say that we now know that the nephews have always had one up on Donald in many ways. And so they're, they're sort of intellectual peers, if not a little bit superior that way. So the next panel is, so you want us to guess and they're very excited because I think they know they can guess. And Donald says, yep, you just have to guess because I only want one thing, he says. So they immediately start start rattling off a list of things, some practical, some not so practical, a uh, new radio, a television. I get that. But uh, um, a flying saucer. <laughs> and while he's doing all this, Donald is just walking around doing his household tasks. He's stoking the fire. He's sitting back in his easy chair. He's addressing Christmas, Christmas cards. cards. Yeah. And they keep coming at him with all of these things. And you probably spotted this, Mark, but then an atom bomb. And then I, I could immediately th thought of the other <laughs> the other series that we saw. Donald see. Duck's atom bomb. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. But he keeps going, and, and I, they realize it isn't very easy, harder than they thought. And I think they believe him. They really can't guess what he's wanting. So um, they ask him again, uh, is this the deal? I have We have to guess. And he goes, that's the deal. He licks the letter. So they go off, and they uh, start thinking uh, about them. Some time passes. 
And I love these next few frames because it's just so exaggerated and it's so Santa's Christmas list. Uh, if uh -huh. you kind of think about the historic and traditional Christmas list that the boys have already created their uh, very long list of things. And he reads off several odd, crazy items. You want to read them off, Warren? Sure. I'll read them off in panel two on that page. It's a cyclotron, a camera, tool set, fishing pole, tent, hive of bees, cowbell, spinning wheel, butterfly, net, gun, canary, and then about 20 etc is uh what i would call the the homer simpson dope moment you know would be the boys just kind of like falling That's back true. because he doesn't get it they don't get it and uh, nope you got everything here but you haven't guessed the one thing i want and then they're groggy they're exhausted they say wait i think we can find out uh when Uncle Donald falls asleep tonight, he'll give us a clue. And boy, fortunately for them, he laid down and starts snoring. Really quick, Warren, I, yeah. I, I just wanted to say I love that little sequence where oh, he I do too. is. Um, I agree with you. That sequence where he's reading through the list, it, it strikes me very much like careful what you wish for. You know, you, you kind of brought this on yourself, Donald, as they come in with this list that must be able to wrap all the way around the house. It looks very funny to me. Oh, it is. And then, of course, Donald's sleeping. He's uh, he's not talking plain American. I thought that was pretty cool. And then, of course, my classic uh, favorite fighting Donald comes into his thought balloon. And uh, you see this boxing fighting Donald with his eyes closed on the couch. And uh, we'll come back to favorite panels, but this is probably one of my favorite panels is the next one with the silhouette of the three nephews. And I just have to read what they're saying. It's no use. All he dreams about is fighting. And I thought that was just setting up Donald for who he is. But then they ask him, well, how about boxing gloves? Well, we got those. How about brass knuckles? Nope, got those too. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, thought of those, but he didn't want them. So they finally realize the only way they're going to guess what Donald wants for Christmas, that one item is to uh, seek out his girlfriend, Daisy Duck. So they race over to Daisy's house and ring the doorbell and you take it well, from here. Before we go on, what do you guys think, Warren? You like that sleep fighting bit. I, I agree. I thought that was hilarious. What did you think of that sleep fighting bit, Sarah? It was very much a characterization that I understood uh -huh. of Donald, you know, constantly under threat from his own insecurities, even in his sleep. So, yeah. Right. And, and we don't usually see the like cartoon behavior bleed into the comics. I feel like this Donald is much more, you know, He's plain spoken, but, but this is something I could imagine being right out of the classic cartoons. Right. It also is a good um, bit of foreshadowing as to his encounter with Gladstone, right? Yeah. It's setting him up as um, a fight picker. Right. And Sarah, you're going to tell us about this part where he, where, where they go to Daisy, but I, I just want to mention, I really like how Barks gets, he sets up this neat little structure for the rest of the story, right? We're going to see this cool pattern where they're going to approach um, relatives or close family friends. And, uh, and, and I like that. It's, it just feels like very clean, neat storytelling. So go for it. Yeah. So he takes, uh, so the boys decide to go see Daisy and two of them stay home to hold down the fort and one of them goes hat in hand to to daisy and is just you you know do you know what donald would want for christmas and she doesn't so she decides that 
she's going to take them all to a mind reader who will be able to figure it out. But when Donald Duck sits down with the mind reader, the mind reader becomes very offended because she's decided that what he wants based on his deepest, darkest thoughts is a picture of herself so that he can scare the boys with it, which is, you know, a She's not, she's drawn with some extra wrinkles, very much like the old witch in, in Snow White and a big hooked nose. And she's not conventionally attractive. And I think she was right to be offended and, um, and kick them out for that insult. Yeah, this, this part feels very discordant to me, right? It's very jarring because like the mind reader is drawn deliberately to like provoke the reader to think about how, how ugly she supposedly looks. And, and it's, it's a big joke on her appearance. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's drawn, she's not, she's wearing, you know, kind of the equivalent of a muumuu and a house coat. She's rather large. She's wearing slip on slippers. She's, she's like, we're meant to think of her as, as French, right? Some sort of generic European, I guess. Mademoiselle decrepit is her name decrepit oh. and it's in the back oh, yeah. on the couch mine's pumped out 25 cents i thought that was pretty cute sight gag i have so many thoughts about this page like first off I, you guys i thought it was so sweet i i read this to my my daughter uh, a couple of weeks ago as part of my prep for this and i kind of i stopped her and i warned her okay i really like this story but there's a part where like the joke is is at the expense of this character's looks and it's not very nice and so she was primed to see it and so when we when we got to that page she was she enjoyed it very thoughtfully with me. And when we got past, I, I asked her, what do you think? And, and she was so sweet. She's like, that's mean. She's beautiful. I was so, I was so proud, Aww. right? Cause she's that's like, she's great. clearly drawn to provoke this reaction, but she's also like, when we see her talking in private with Daisy, you know, they're just speaking very collegially. She does seem very nice and very sweet until she reads Donald's thoughts and is very, she calls him an insulting monster to, who wanted her picture to frighten his nephews with. Mark, you talked about the, the characterization of this character, this mind reader, and it made me wonder, and it happens again with Uncle Scrooge, but it made you wonder why they had to leave their place of residence and seek out someone to, to convince them. I thought they might have some other way of doing it, but it was an interesting storytelling concept by introducing these bit characters to well and you got to get them to drive away in the car ah you're right thank you yes you have to get that repeated um trope in there yeah thank you right Sarah, go ahead. and so to that point um after madame decrepit kicks them all out daisy demands to be taken right home uh, but the car breaks down <laughs> and Donald says, you steer Daisy, the kids and I will have to get out and push. She just gets so mad. She's just like, nope, you do it yourself. Walks off and like thinks about it, you know, as she kind of processes her anger. She's like, you know, what he really needs is a car. I'm just going to get Donald a car for Christmas. And I'm sure we all had the thought of like, that's a really big gift. I mean, she, she's doing it so that she isn't 
you know, she doesn't have to ride around in that jalopy too. I can kind of understand that. I've given gifts where I'm like, I'm a little bit inconvenienced by this aspect of your life. Here is a thing that will make me happier. I totally get it. Yeah. And it's not out of bounds for like a girlfriend, but it it is interesting. I, I couldn't help but think of like that kid, that little kid lack of understanding of what a car costs versus what an erector set costs, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had to put aside so much of my disbelief where I was like, okay, okay, this is for kids. This is not for adults who know how much things actually cost. I will. This is just as plausible as a wife buying a Lexus for the husband without even talking about it, right. surprising him with a big bow on top of it. And then we, we shouldn't gloss over the fact that we've got like Daisy Duck walking into the bank to um, make a, a major purchase as a single woman in 1950, right? Yeah, I was thinking of the same thing, Mark. Here she is. The last panel is her making that entrance into the bank. Although she's disgusted, she is absolutely determined. And I I don't know the specifics of it, but but I know that it wasn't really common for, I, I think bank loans were still like being denied to women at this time mm-hmm. in American okay. history in general. But Barks is kind of showing this like it's just a, a yeah. normal thing. So I, I thought she that has was as much of a right to, you know, a bank account and credit as, as anyone does. I, I didn't notice that. Thank you for pointing that out. That is really no. progressive. Right. Yeah. He, he has his flashes here and there. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're going to, we're going to basically proceed now to the next member of the duck family, right? He's the, the kids have gone to Daisy and things went pear-shaped. Now they're going to approach their uncle Scrooge and see if he can help out. And we don't quite have Scrooge in the money bin, but we do see him shoveling his money into like these large, it is called the money bin, right? Because there's some signage there that points it out. Um, a double-decker money bin. Yes, a double-decker money bin. Right. So we're kind of right. we're kind of getting getting there. This This Scrooge is pretty close to the kind of the final version of his character. And and they ask him for the help guessing what he might want. And he's outraged because he just sees this as he he hears the word gift and he's like, someone's going to angle for me to give someone a gift and that costs money. And, um, you know, as, as he kind of shoes the nephews out, he starts to kind of process and he thinks to himself, you know, if, if Donald doesn't get the kids, the building set that they want, who's going to have to do it. It's going to be poor old uncle Scrooge. I, I love the ridiculous thought process he has here where he essentially talks himself into, into everything. He determines that he needs to get an expert. And so he like Daisy, I had a question about how to interpret Scrooge's motivation. He knows that the kids aren't likely to get their toy unless he helps out. Is he motivated by wanting to help them? Or is he motivated out of just kind of resentful obligation for this, you know, family attachment that he has? I think we're supposed to read this as like the resentful obligation, but that there may be like the kernel of caring somewhere buried in there? That's my take on it. That's a good question. So Scrooge um, likewise kind of shuttles Donald to another mentalist. And this is something that's always interested me about Karl Barks, right? Is so many of his stories are like about hard work and, and rationality, but then he has a lot 
of stories with this kind of like hypnotism and mind reading and, and past lives stuff, it, it, it almost reads as a little bit hippie-ish. I think he had kind of his like his hippie side. Warren, you can probably think of a ton of these, right? Oh, yeah. You see that in so many. He's out there uh, for a lot of these. Yeah. And it, and it is a, a good storytelling hook, obviously. You have to get, if you want to tell the kind of stories he does. But um, he takes him to a hypnotist named Professor Orville Orb, and um, he consults in the same way Daisy did with the hypnotist saying what he wants. And we get to see this hypnotist do the classic mesmerizing thing. And it results in Donald um, only being able to cluck like a chicken. <laughs> Which is and, quite ironic when you think about a duck being a chicken. But anyway. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and so the the professor is like, oh, well, he, he can't talk, but um, I think he can show us what he wants for Christmas. And he directs him to go point it out. And they they follow in, in the car as Donald leads them to a feed store and he points to a sack of corn. And Scrooge is outraged and the, uh, the hypnotist admits, well, you know, I, I did the best I could, but all I can do is hypnotize people so they think they're chickens. <laughs> I love and that line. I, I love that stupid gag. I, I think it's great. Did you like that bit, Sarah? I did. I thought it was funny. It was interesting to see how hypnotism was kind of portrayed in the media, right? You know, we grew up on this idea in partly informed by these comics that hypnotism was a way to control people you know all of these things that you're saying were just felt so normal within cartoon sphere right so as i was reading this i was like oh of course he would because i've been to a you know hypnotist for for therapy type reasons there's a lot of really good evidence supporting hypnotism in certain situations that are therapeutic, obviously not the type where you make somebody think they're a chicken. And so I was wondering where he was going with this. Um, and he went where I should have expected it, which was, it, it was, it was very entertaining. <laughs> right. It's, it's the throwaway silly humor. And, and it has a really good capper where the, the guy is like, wait, wait, I, I know someone who's a goat hypnotist. You can make him think he's a goat as if that'll help. Um, One of my and, favorite moments, Mark, if you don't mind on that page yeah. though, is when he does right before revealing that he, that's all he does is make people think they're chickens. I love how the boys are just pounding the floor. The little mouse sticks up and looks at them and the boys say something that's a little uncharacteristic because throughout most of the stories, they refer to their Uncle Donald as Uncle Donald. But here they say, we want to know what Donald Duck wants for Christmas. And then you're led to the next panel where he's like, hey, this is all I do. But I love the little gag in the background because you see two maybe could have been characters, Roscoe Rooster and Henrietta Hen. So you've got this funny animal naming convention continuing on with characters that have never you'll never hear from again, but they're out there in Duckburg. So I don't know, just a little bit of a side. That's right. Uh, yeah. And, and there like are a lot of good, mouse. Yeah. That little mouse is a cute little sight gag. There's a lot of good sight gags that we've kind of glossed over here, but um, they're, they're definitely worth looking for. So just I also like, like how a goat hypnotist is not a hypnotist for goat or a hypnotist who is a goat. It's a hypnotist who makes you believe that you're a goat. Right. There's clearly a big market in Duckburg for needing to be hypnotized to think you're different animals. Not the first time either. Um, Donald was hypnotized to think he was a kangaroo in one of Bark's most famous stories. So again, 
They head home disgusted. And again, we get a pretty spectacular car failure. Um, Scrooge refuses to help. And the nephews have to push the car home while Scrooge is left to ponder what Donald needs. And he decides that he is going to buy him a new car because he can never tell when he may need him to drive Scrooge someplace. And that's all the hand-waving we get to explain why, um, why Scrooge would spend so much money. But as far as these things go, I, I found it pretty believable. And, and at the conclusion of this page, you know, they pass their cousin Gladstone Gander uh, gawking at Donald's predicament being pushed by his nephew. What a great way to introduce the third member of the, the family here and to see what happens here. I was really love this part. I love what he says here. He says, greetings, lowly worm. And so I went, wait a minute. Lowly Worm? That's Richard Scarry. That, that was a children's book character. So I did a little research, and it turns out that Richard Scarry started his career in 1950 as an art student, and uh, he created Lowly Worm, the character for his uh, funny animal books in 1963. So I have to say he was a Barks reader. Wow. Good catch, <laughs> like Worm. Yeah. I just uh, I just read a book to my my two year old with lowly worm in it and that, uh, just a few nights ago and I never I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, I wonder so if he, that's where he got it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say he did. I'm just that I'm that optimistic about the uh, <laughs> the community of artists and humorists back in the 50s and 60s that he was inspired by Mr. Barks. But anyway, Gladstone yells out uh, uh, to uh, uh, Donald and the nephews as they're uh, the nephews are pushing Donald in his car. Grr. Pleasant Gladstone Gander. And uh, then then the battle ensues here. The battle of words, the battle of greetings. Donald just uh, can't take it anymore after he insults Donald and and his ability to not drive his car and you need a new car and you're a big windbag and and they they go face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And, you know, Donald points out, right, never owned a car. Yeah, he's never owned a car. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, he goes, well, I can if I want. I'm lucky. And he says, well, then start wanting one. <laughs> I, I got to be shown. <laughs> I love it. And again, classic fighting Donald here circling around. You're lucky to find nickels, but an, but automobiles are clear out of your class. So you, you're you a lucky guy, but you're a, you're like a like a downtrodden lucky guy, you know, but now if you can, you can really show me if you get a car and he says, you, you uh, know, Warren, you. yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, oh, you. Go. but you know what I love about this fighting sequence? Neither of them ever throws a punch. They're all just, <laughs> just circling each other with their fists cocked. Just like positioning. And since uh, that won't convince you that, uh, that I'm going to buy a car uh, for Christmas, by golly, I'm going to get a car and I'm going to get one for you too. And uh, Donald still doesn't accept it. The next scene as they're moving to the super service station is the uh, nephew saying, you know, he couldn't buy a clank out of a fender. It's a good but line. he'll just have to prove it again. Yeah, great line. And of course, the last panel on that page is Gladstone absolutely regretting his statement. So he, it, this next series of panels shows him just at his absolutely downtrodden worst knuckles dragging on the floor droopy face as he wanders and wonders how he can ever he needs to be lucky like right now 
And sure enough, uh, he w- walks past uh, who I I kind of kind of a Margaret Dumont kind of a character uh, from the Marx Brothers movies. Just very wealthy and very social, uh, high social standard. And I love what she says. I can't stand seeing anyone unhappy at Christmas. I can't stand. Uh-huh. And you see this grown off panel. Um, and she turns out to give him a few thousand dollars to cheer him up a little bit. The next panel, great panel, and he's just handing the cash over to the car salesman who wants to purchase now. Not one, but two chartreuse sport car with red sidewall tires. <laughs> imported sport bottles. <laughs> That's right, imported, not even domestic. You guys, adult me loves this page so much. Like child <laughs> me, definitely my favorite page is, is probably an obvious pick, but this is hilarious. I love him yeah. rounding the corner with that like long face and the comically oh. um, over the top drawn wealthy socialite who just is like, here are a few thousand dollars to help you buy some joy, poor fellow. It's a pretty good art too. Obviously her opera glasses are have little lines radiating from them to kind of draw attention to them. Her jewels have lines radiating from them to draw right. attention to them and a, a, to, you know, show that they are sparkly and luxurious. You know exactly where to look. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated about Barks's art. Yeah, she exudes ostentatious wealth and just that idea that she's like well it's christmas have a few thousand dollars to stop being sad <laughs> but again my fate one of my favorite depictions of gladstone at his it is most down uh, on his luck kind mm-hmm. of uh, turns here great panel yeah so that wraps up gladstone's little episode and the kids have moved on to check in with grandma duck because there's a grandma duck which i haven't met yet is she um has she appeared so far yeah grandma duck she she's definitely appeared a a good few times she doesn't usually make it into the longer stories except for like some of these christmas ones but she um she appears in some stories i think some stories it's i think she might occasionally appear without some of the other ducks am i remembering that right warren yeah, Grandma Duck was a story angle there to kind of introduce other ducks in the clan, if you will. And uh, there was a, a, a series of comics called the Duck Family Albums she appeared in, and in a lot of the 10-pagers. Uh, but yeah, she did appear in her own series with cousin um, Gus Goose, I think, is it? Or yeah. help me. Yep. Yeah, and, Gus um, Goose, her, her hired hand, because she's usually, I, we don't really see her farm here, do we? But she's no, no, she's like Grandma Duck's farm mm-hmm. friend. And so what's her relationship with Uncle Scrooge then? Is she the mother? Boy, that that's a whole thing. There there was what? never there have been pages and pages about the genealogy and and um Don Rosa eventually will right. basically sketch it out. But I I think that Barks did have kind of a working idea of the genealogy. She she is actually the nephew's great grandmother and Donald's grandma. And not related directly to Scrooge. Okay, so she's not Scottish. Correct. Okay. Don, Don so, Rosa will kind of like, he'll, he'll retcon these different relationships into, he'll actually put out a, a neat little duck family tree that's, right. that's rather cute. And, and it's, it's basically kind of become more or less canon. That'd be okay. a kind of a fun repost. And, uh, in and a, she's in, Elvira. Elvira Duck is uh, her most official name. Nice. So the kids, the boys show up um, 
and they're asking if she has any idea. And she says, no, I don't know what um, he might want, but if you find out, I'll buy it for him which is kind of new. Nobody's ever said that out loud to, to them. You know, the, we, Donald only asked for them to guess what he wanted. He didn't actually ask for the thing. So that's right. very kind of her. Yeah. Um, and so they take off and they're really excited um, that they have at least her support for that, that they just are so frustrated, might as well go home and give up. And Donald pulls around the corner as they're walking home and offers to drive them the rest of the way and wouldn't you know it the car breaks down in a big grunt choke wheeze and then a whole panel that says blam (laughs) again (laughs) so it and the 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 there's fluid leaking everywhere looks like steam from one end and exhaust from the other the tires are all askew and donald just donald just opens his heart and starts speaking from there and he says i can't fix this old heap any longer i have to get a new one as he's steering while the boys are pushing uh and then they catch on oh that means that He's, he's telling us what he wants. He wants a new car. And he really needs one. The kids are like, yeah, he really needs one. So they call Grandma Duck and tell her the good news. And she says, land sakes alive. Which is just the cutest old lady interjection. Do you uh, mind if gets- I ask really quick? What, what do you guys think of like the the nephew's like obliviousness here? How, how over the top it is that they, they clearly should have realized this a uh, couple of breakdowns ago. I'm going to suggest they should have realized it when they brought out the list that was about 50 feet long. And this can't be the first time in in their world that that car broke down three times in the story with the same blam and the tires and the smoke. Uh, Yeah, I I find the plausibility here a little bit awkward. What do you think? As a reader, I never know, right? Because I'm trying to impose, you know, real world rules and logic onto this cartoon. So I never know what plot and what's suspension of disbelief right so i had just been using my suspension of disbelief this whole time right it's a very common thing that like he has car problems never occurred to me that that was what he actually wanted until i started noticing that people were buying him cars but if you had like sat me down at the beginning with the boys i would have guessed how about a car because to us that's a big everybody needs a new car I just bought, you know, my husband and I just bought a car ourselves. And so like, it's a thing that adult need, adults need having the new newest car is such a nice thing. But I put that aside because that's a adult, right. literal thinking Sarah want. I don't know what Donald Duck wants. But see, you just said it though. And I think this is the classic point in the story. It's what do you want, Donald Duck? or Uncle Donald versus what you need. And every character, every character ended their sequence, if you will, in this storytelling structure with he needs a car. It wasn't he wants a car. You're absolutely right, Sarah. It never dawned on me to even think in that first, it was what do you want, Donald, Uncle Donald? It wasn't what do you need? That was brilliant in in his storytelling text. Hmm. Yeah, I really like this element of it because I think to me, 
we get we get this rule of three thing, right? Barks is really good about his comedic rule of three. We've got three breakdowns here. And the That's third right. breakdown is what finally clues them in. I think most readers by then are seeing that it's screamingly obvious, right? That right. it is what he needs. And so to me, there's a lot of humor in their in their like obliviousness because the reader is just wants to like shake them. Like it's a car, it's a car. So <laughs> I think it would probably be common to read it as like they're being frustratingly naive, but naive, yeah. it's just it's just funny to me. That it is. They're like this dense when they're usually very, very bright. So, yeah, we we see grandma in her adorable little buggy head to the store to order one for him. And uh, then we transition into really a neat little sequence where Donald remembers his bargain and he goes to the toy store and he asks that one of those building sets be delivered Christmas morning. And he stops himself as he leaves because he has that great stereotypical adult recollection that, wait, there's three of them, better buy three of them, else they're going to fight. And this this is what's going to happen in sequence with each of the relatives, right? Daisy is doing some last minute shopping and she takes it upon herself because, you know, she's thinking, I don't want to see the boys miss out. So I'm going to go buy them some something. And she talks herself into three sets and we, we flash to Scrooge in his uh, in his money tub thinking to himself that 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 tightwad Donald won't buy his nephews a thing. So he directs Jarvis, his butler, to go to the toy store and buy a building set. And again, we get that capper where he corrects himself, better make it three, else they're going to fight all the time. Did anyone else read that Jarvis go down to a toy store and buy a building set in Iron Man's voice? I, I definitely thought of uh, thought of the AI, yeah, this time. <laughs> And so we see Gladstone do the same thing. All of these relatives are coming to the same realization, but they're doing it in different ways, right? right Daisy right. is doing it to be sweet. Scrooge is doing it to be sweet in his own way, but um, he's being cast as very grumpy and reluctant at the same time. Gladstone wants to show off. He wants to have a little icing on the cake when he delivers the car. So he goes in search of the most expensive toys and decides to spring for three sets. And and so, then uh, grandma, yeah. go, go for it, Warren. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to suggest we go all the way back to the beginning when Donald did it to fulfill a bargain. And that was, he was happy to do it. Yeah, so I, I like I liked the little um, expression that he's got as he does yeah. it. He's like, hey, at least the kids will have a nice Christmas. You know, I love he, that part. Yeah, he was, he was definitely a jerk in the beginning. And I could have seen a way for him to have like posed it more as a game than a threat, you know, but we get a little bit of like, we get some nice caring and warmth from him at the end, at least. I did want to point out that um, the super builder that uh, Gladstone gets is $100. And yeah. apparently that's not even the most expensive gifts that they have at the toy store. Those are all sold out. The $100 building sets in 1950 would be worth $1,166.59 due to inflation, which right. is wow. Yeah. Like um, <laughs> for your three nephews, that's a pretty big flex. 
that's clearly where where all the motors are going to come in at the end from those deluxe ones. <laughs> so Grandma Duck is the final uh, relative to walk into the store and uh, just knows that Donald is too scatterbrained to remember to buy gifts for his nephews. So she goes and does the same thing. But she says, send one of those sets to Donald Duck's house, make it three. They now are all set. And of course, my one of my favorite little character moments is the clerk is just so happy. I <laughs> You made his day. Um, I love morning... that clerk there. Yeah, isn't that great? I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, but the next morning, you've got this classic Christmas snow-covered Duckburg moment. It's Christmas morning, and you hear the joy from all the different houses in the neighborhood. But they're not the ducks. These are just the other kids in the neighborhood. And um, so the doorbell rings. The boys uh, wake up. Donald is groggy and says, go get the, uh, go answer the door. There might be a delivery man with your building sets. Now, he's explaining now from bed that he got them the building right. sets. Hey Warren, isn't that panel just so lovely? Oh, it is. It's it's that Christmas balls, morning. You know, panel. it's uh, it's it's a wonderful life. It's it's a it's your classic Christmas panel. Yeah. What did you think, Sarah? I thought it was really calm, and I liked the touch of the gold yellow steeple and the trees that had had shed their leaves, but there's still a fir. Yeah, it's very serene. Very calming. When Donald looks up and says, go get your building sets, uh, they're being delivered. Uh, there there we see the five delivery men, or we see the legs of the uh, the one on the far left, and they have all the different versions of the builder set. I, I love that. I'm glad you pointed that out early about Gladstone getting the... Uh, Super because, builder. Yeah, because they're all like Jiffy builder, there's deluxe builder and there's super builder. So there's different versions of it. So they can concoct whatever they their hearts and minds imagine. So 15 building sets, uh, Donald gets up. And this is the sort of the unveil now of the payoff of all the kindness and all the payback. But Donald gets up, runs to his window, opens it up, delivery men everywhere. And then this sort of disbelief that there are four new automobiles for me. For me, Donald Duck, and each one is a representation of the buyer, except for Uncle Scrooge. I'm a little. <laughs> yeah, that Jeep is a little bit confusing. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, that, you... <laughs> you guys, that Jeep is perfect. What year is this? 1950. Oh. This is 1950. It's a, it's a war surplus Jeep. Yep, after World it's... War II, he got he got it for cheap. <laughs> Oh, remember the bomber yes. from Volcano Valley, Sarah? Yes, this is yes, more yes. war surplus. And yeah, war surplus. That, that would have been perfect. obvious. It would have been obvious back then that that, but right. it, it reads weird. It's like, oh, that's kind of utilitarian. Maybe that's how it works. But no, he picked it up from, from Uncle Sam for a song. Great call, Mark. <laughs> I'm glad you did that. I, I love that then. It makes so much sense. And then, of course, Daisy's car is frilly, and it's got the little fringe on the hood, and it's got the uh, little skirt or the lace on the bottom. Uh, Grandma Duck uh, was just practical and bought what Grandma Duck would buy. And, uh, of course, Gladstone's got the chartreuse import with the uh, red tires. That's Donald's great surprise for that morning i love i love this page that this this is such a neat bit of grown-up wish fulfillment and child yeah. wish fulfillment 
but it's like grown up wish fulfillment from the perspective of a child. What do you think, yeah. Sarah, of those different cars that reflect the givers? Um, I Carl Barks is such a master at character and he, any tool he can, he uses. Um, and this is just another example of that. Obviously, I was confused by the Jeep, but the I could tell who which one was, you know, without reading the tags, right. who each car was from. It's just, they're so good. Mm -hmm. and, and even Gladstone's, even the tag, he's underlined his name to be like, this <laughs> is from Gladstone. And grandma was the only one to wish a Merry Christmas. Yeah, uh, to just great. And then Donald joins the boys in Yahoo, Yowie, this is the merriest Christmas ever. And the kids ask, um, what are you going to do with four automobiles? And Donald says he's just going to have a lot of fun picking which one to ride in. As an adult, I've, I develop a favorite probably and then just drive that one exclusively, give the rest away. <laughs> like I would have a hard time accepting them. And then if somebody oh, yeah. was like insisted or if it was in the case of Uncle Scrooge or uh, where or Gladstone where I was like, yeah, he's it's fine. I would just be like, okay, either, you know, sell it or give it to somebody else, you know, spread the wealth. But Donald, of course, is not so magnanimous. He's just going to choose. He's just going to have fun choosing. And I think that's probably like playing to that little kid sensibility, right? Of, oh, I can drive a different car every day. Right. Right. But the kids are a little bit more practical as far as scalability. And I kept thinking about that, like, oh, I bet they're going to make something really good with that because, you know, you can't use four cars at once, but you can use 15 erector sets at a time and make something just really awesome. And they already have plans. And so later on, Donald is trying to get everybody rounded up so that they can go to grandma's for turkey dinner. And they just like can't be bothered. So he leaves without them and gets to the door at grandma's. He decides to drive the one that she gave him to show his thanks. Um, and he arrives and says, grandma, the boys just wouldn't come. And she's at the door and she, she's pointing behind him and says, that's what you think. Donald, look behind you. And the kids have arrived with a giant quadrupedal dog looking thing that they've built with their erector set. Uh, singing jingle bells from the top of it. Yeah, what what a great closing panel. I I think this is a masterpiece conclusion, right? Because we've got it does the little hackneyed Christmas thing where the other members of the family all show up together, which maybe isn't it. isn't too realistic, but it's cute and it's warm, and uh, it just feels like such a neat bit of kid wish fulfillment. You know, the idea that we're going to use all these sets to to create something really cool that gives us a little bit of independence. I love it. As a kid, this was my favorite panel. I uh, I remember this panel, and when I saw it again, reading it this time it brought back so many memories. And I think it was that sort of final Merry Christmas wish to the family, from a family. And everybody that's in the story, the main characters, are in this panel. And it's just a Christmas greeting. And Sarah, you described that, that animal or whatever they're riding on beautifully. It's the familiar, the snow and the house, and the extremely absurd and unfamiliar all mixed together in one. And it's just, it's, it's just a classic panel. 
great way to close the story. Yeah. What did you think of the conclusion there, Sarah? I thought it was adorable. I was very excited to see that I was right about the scalability of their building sets. Um, yeah, 15 of them. And <laughs> they, they did a good job because, of course, they did. Um, I liked the articulation of the like the limbs of this <laughs> monster thing they created to ride around town in um it does look very much like a dog um as far as like where the joints are and stuff i yeah. think this one was my favorite panel for sure nice i i like too that it looks it looks fantastical but it also looks just realistic enough you know, where you, where you can imagine it. Really, <laughs> really neat little closer there. So yeah, what what are your overall thoughts on this one, Warren? You you alluded to this being your favorite of the big Christmas stories. It is, and I and as I said earlier, it it I just love the outcome. I love the way it started. There was a little bit of that, and I'll just classify it again as a, a sort of selfish motives from everyone. Scrooge is Scrooge, so you can't break him from his mold, but. Uh, and, and so is Gladstone, but there was such, but when you had that selfish streak in the nephews at the beginning and then Donald, then there was the shift to kindness and gift giving, which I really liked. And all five characters are in there. I mean, you've got the, the family rather with grandma making a cameo and, and everybody just, to me, it was just a classic Christmas story in Duckburg with classic behaviors by all the characters. It sort of came full circle for me as a as a Duck fan. Awesome. How about you, Sarah? What are your overall thoughts on this one? I thought this one was very sweet. It wasn't exciting. Mm-hmm. It was so well characterized that it wasn't surprising or jarring. And so it felt like it would be a good, comforting, solid, enjoyable comic to read as a kid. Yeah, for sure. I I loved reading this one as a kid. I really love this one. This one, I think, I think you described it really well. It's very comforting. Both of you described it well, because it has a lot of nice, like warmth and kindness, um, just a couple of discordant parts, but it almost feels like a a classic Christmas special, a TV special, you know, and like you were saying, Sarah, it, it really is all about the characterization in this one. None of the characters apart from Donald and the kids are even in it that long, but there's just so much mm-hmm. character, you know, not development, but um, the, the story is really drawn out of who these characters are. And, uh, and that makes it really, really fun to read. If you look at the, the splash panel at the end, the, the panel we love that, that pays off the story. And then if you go back, like I did to the first panel, Mark, the one you beautifully described as that, that big full page, I just saw that there's a little foreshadowing going on here with a yellow car in the window. Just think about that for a minute. Yeah. And, uh, so You're I don't so know if Carl Barks was, was playing a joke on us or if he just knew what he was going to get into, but I wanted to bring that up. I'm glad you did. Yeah. When we were looking at it this time, I was like, Oh, look at that. That, that car <laughs> is going to be a gift or at least a car is going to be a gift. Oh, yeah. it was there the whole time. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for me when I think about like the three famous Christmas stories and and there's no reason to pit them against each other other than it makes for a good topic of conversation. Um, but you like this one better than Shacktown and San- and Letter to Santa, huh, Warren? Well, I liked I liked Letter to Santa. Um, Shacktown, I would put third, but I would say this is probably a close second. Uh, I mean, I mean, Letter to Santa is probably a close second to this one for other reasons. But yeah, how about you? Um, 
I love Letter to Santa, but it's like kind of two stories, right? Mm -hmm. And I like that steam shovel part Mm -hmm. more than I do the kind of Santa part at the end. So I would say that the the first half of Letter to Santa is my favorite of them. But this one, this one might work best overall. But but there's something about the Shack Town. It's really a big emotional punch, too. Yeah, it's more epic, I will say. And even in a way, Letter to Santa is a little bit more of an epic story. Yeah. So th- that's a hard one. Like if you if yeah. you had asked me before I revisited Letter to Santa, I probably would have said that Letter to Santa was or, or rather Shack Town was my favorite. And this yeah. But they're all really great in their own way. So I'll I'll have to think about that when when I finally get to Shack Town, and maybe I'll have to. I'll have take have... An, yeah, I'll take another read of Shack Town too. It's been a while, but uh, this one just brought back a lot of memories. Um, and I'm I'm kind of stuck in my memories as a kid. So maybe I will have you guys back for Shack Town, and I'll ask Sarah to um, do Letter to Santa for some homework, and uh, and <laughs> and we go. can you know debate the three of them Not, yeah. again. They're they're all great, but but the community has its own idea, and yeah. um, this one is is highly regarded. Those three are are definitely like the top of Bark's Christmas stories. So this one rates quite highly. It's a 7.7 on index, which is good for 113th out of all 41,000 or so. So Shacktown is definitely his highest rated by the community. And I believe that Santa, Letter to Santa, outpaces this one by a little bit. But, but not okay. quite as much. I might need to double check that though. In general, I think this one holds up pretty well apart from that sequence with, with the mind reader, which just is, mm. is a little needlessly mean. Although I should, I should acknowledge that Donald's private thoughts are his own private thoughts. And he had the good grace not to say anything. She was <laughs> insulted by thoughts that he kept to himself until she read his mind so i admire mark your when you do read this to your daughter and when i read this to my granddaughter which i want to start reading the duck stories to her she's now four and i think will she loves sitting through stories but i love the disclaimers you can give on the characterizations because i think that's really important to let them know that this isn't appropriate or this isn't what we're looking at and get their reaction i thought that was beautiful And I think these duck stories with all their side characters and even their main character behaviors are wonderful elements for teaching kids. What is good? What is greed? What is luck? What is this? What is that? I I think uh, um, you've, you've kind of convinced me to not just read these stories, but read through these stories with with the little ones. Yeah, it is a great opportunity, right? Because I love these stories deeply, but there are definitely parts that I, I do think it's important to contextualize and, you know, tell her, okay, this this was something that he wrote 70 years ago. And generally today we wouldn't do this or or sometimes people today still do this. And I, I don't think it's right. But, but it's just a good a good opportunity to have those conversations. Let's see, any, any closing thoughts, guys? Anything we didn't get to cover that you really wanted to mention? I, I do think it's a, it's a shame, Warren, that, um, and, and someone on the Barks Facebook page had pointed this out in response to a question I asked once. Um, yeah. I asked once, what lithograph or oil painting do you wish Barks had gotten around to? And someone had suggested that, you know, the, closing panel of this would have been a really nice subject. 
Oh, I think it would have. Oh, yeah, there, there are so many, though. The more we do these and the more I look at, at these comics, the more I say, oh, just think about what he, his editing process of saying, no, I'll, I'm not going to do that one. And he did far more oil paintings than he did lithographs, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I guess I didn't, I we talked about some panels we really liked, but are there any favorite panels that we didn't get to mention or that anyone wants to highlight? No, but I always appreciate when you do bring attention to the art because I do my thing sometimes where I get stuck in read mode and I can't switch to picture mode. So I really appreciate when you point out little things like that car in the window, Warren, or just everything. I like the attention that you give in this podcast. And I hope it's useful to listeners who may might not have a copy of, of this comic right in front of them to hear us talk about various panels. Yeah, and aside, I think from the, and aside from the splash panels that we talked about and some of the wonderful artwork that Sarah's pointing out, I think this is another great, it was a cluster of panels that really stood out. And it was little mini scenes like the 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 incredibly long list of things that, the, that they thought Donald wanted. And then you jump to the next page and it's Donald fighting on the couch. Those little sequences are just classic in, in itself. Maybe for me, it was the nephews who'd kind of dominated this story early on and in throughout in a way. Um, I love their their moments, I guess. And uh, it's probably one of my favorites. Awesome. Yeah, th- there are a ton of great panels in this one. And most of my favorites are super predictable. You know, the the end one and the beginning one and the, the automobiles. But I got to come back to that one with Gladstone with his long face because it it's cracked yeah. me up ever since I was a kid. Yeah, that's a um, winner. And and I I do love this story. You know, this one is is so much fun and I love the way that he constructs it in a way where the story almost tells itself, right? He like puts it he puts it on this track and we get to see this relative come into the story and handle things in their way and the next one and then they all come together in the end in a way that is to me really satisfying. So, I I think I think this is a great story, holds up really well, and I'm delighted we got to talk about it. So um, I look forward to having you guys back again at some point really soon. Very soon it happens because uh, in in our podcast order, I'm going to be pushing out Dangerous Disguise next uh, Mm. after this one. So hopefully listeners will enjoy coming back. I think I think we had an awesome conversation for that one because we've already recorded that. I'm very happy with how that turned out. So um, if if listeners would like to, they're welcome to reach out at barksremarks at gmail.com or on the Barks Remarks Facebook page. And until then, Merry Christmas in February to both of you. Thank you, Mark. And to you, Mark. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Again, always great to play in the money bin with you guys. (laughs) Always. Thank you.